Turn, if you will, to James 5, and I want to give a plethora, since I'm not done with the subject, I'm giving you a shotgun blast of everything on my mind. It's disorderly as I read it, but that's typical of my preaching. And uh, so I'm going to say everything I feel like saying, okay? And I will not say everything that ought to be said on prayer. But I'll use James as an excuse to get started, okay? James could write on prayer. His nickname was Camel Knees. He prayed so much that his knees were like camel knees. Uh, They were like leather because he was such a man of prayer. In the early church, they called him Camel Knees. And uh, he ends his epistle. Well, he starts. Look what he says on prayer. Let's just start chapter 1. He says, count it all joy when you're into all kinds of problems. And then he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives generously to all. And then he goes on and tells us, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. On the way, he mentions prayer in chapter 4. He said, uh, this church obviously had a lot of quarreling going on uh, among them. And he says, you desire for two and do not have, so you murder. Now, that is quite a verse to interpret. There's two views. One view is they actually were killing each other because they think they may have been Jewish zealots that were used to fighting Rome with true swords. So maybe they're going to settle problems physically, like Peter taking off Malchus' ear. So that's one that takes it quite literally. The other is you wish you could murder them, but you'll just hate them in the meantime. Whoever, it's strong language. Hyperbole, you wrestle with it. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Then we come to 5, 513. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The story of this is 1 Kings 18. Uh, Let's talk about three things about prayer. Uh, When we should pray, who can pray, and what you can expect when you pray. Uh, When to pray. It's quite interesting that James mentions prayer about four or five times in various situations. The first thing he says uh, 
In James 1, 5, when you need wisdom. And don't you think uh, that's most every day? Uh, every day. And wisdom is skill for living. The Hebrew word was the idea of skill for living. It has nothing to do with IQ or knowledge. It's skill for living. L- living as God intended. So we need wisdom. But especially as he related it to troubled times. And here he says, is any among you suffering? And the word is having trouble. Uh, suffering from negative happenings, negative experiences. It's not a word for sickness. It's just you're having trouble. And here James is writing to a persecuted church. Any New Testament church could relate to suffering. They were suffering for the cause of Christ. So he said, if you're having any negative things happen to you in your life, you ought to pray. You pray. Don't call the prayer line. You pray. Have you prayed about it? I often, I learned a little thing from Jay Adams about counseling, and I use it in all counseling situations. Three questions. And, and I tell people on the phone, they'll call me, I need to see you for counseling. I need to see you. Well, after you see me, you'll probably think you didn't need to see me. Because there's three questions I want to ask and want to get an answer. First of all, what is the problem as you see it? Good. And make it right pages. Two, what have you done about the problem? One line. Nothing. Thirdly, what do you want me to do about it? What is your problem? What have you done about it? Have you prayed? No. Have you sought God? No, maybe. I'm just giving the worst case. I've not really done anything but fight with my wife. Have you ever prayed about it? God can give you the skill to fight better, at least fairly. God does teach us that. And then what do you want me to do? And ritualists used to always say, I can prescribe medicine, but I can't make you take it. And that's God and his word. So James says, hey, if you're having bad times, pray. And Psalms 50, 15, Spurgeon's greatest verse for prayer, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. What a, what a great deal, Spurgeon used to say. I got the trouble, I do the calling, God delivers, he gets the glory. Can you make it any simpler? Psalms 50, 15. Um, when should we pray? All the time. Pray without ceasing. And also pray at specific times. I think that's the key to most people's prayer life. They've never thought enough about it to set a time. If you'll set the time, you're on your way. Now, you'll have 15 interruptions, but at least when would you plan to pray when you pray? And that is a big battle that we have to wrestle. Howie Hendricks did that with his family life. Everybody always called him, always wanted him, and him being the Christian education family teacher at Dallas, they were always expected to get him, and he finally learned to say, no, I have an appointment that evening, or I have an appointment. The appointment was with his wife and with his kids, and somebody found out about it, and they got mad. People are going to hell, and you're telling us you can't book us in because you book time with your kids? He said, I don't want my kids to go to hell. They're worth booking time with. And you won't keep me married? I plan to stay married. I booked the time to be with my... If it's important, it ought to find time in your schedule. Don't wait. You don't do your best praying in urgency. For instance, Lord, I'm drowning. Lord, save me. The shortest prayer in the Bible. And God did save Peter. But it's really better if you can spend a little bit more time. But of course, when you're drowning, you need help real quick. 
Uh, he says, when you're sick, uh, you ought to call for the elders to pray for you. Isn't this interesting? A very interesting passage that uh, the person here is so debilitated by their sickness, they, it seems to be they're not even able to come to church. And so they, they, they send out a call for help and said, go get the elders, the shepherds of the church, and have them come pray for me. Now, they, at this time, said, anoint them with oil. Now, it's been interesting views on this. One group thinks they give him a massage with oil. Well, that'd be nice. I could take that anytime. But it's not the oil that heals. It's the Lord that heals. So, what's the oil for? Well, when they set aside men as being set apart of God, kings, priests, prophets, they would anoint them with oil. It was symbolic of the presence of God. Some would make it of the Holy Spirit. However, that God is present. So it was understood, especially in Jewish uh, ranks at this time, that the oil was a symbol of divine help. God is willing to help you. And I don't think it's being used as medicine as much as a metaphorical reminder. God's present, even when you're sick, and in the presence of these elders. And anoint them and he says, and the prayer of the faith, it's definite article faith, a, a prayer moved by faith uh, can do something that conservatives don't believe he can do, but conservatives didn't write the Bible. God did. God didn't care about all your prejudice. He wrote the Bible. This is what he said. Now, I wish I can guarantee this. That's the prayer. The biggest problem we have with prayer is why didn't you answer but sometimes my problem isn't why didn't you answer. My bigger problem is why didn't you ask? That's my bigger problem. But here, he actually says that when the elders prayed, not an apostle, James was an apostle, but when the elders of the church prayed, and it seems to be a specific kind of praying in this context. Men like Piper make it the gift of faith is in operation or some spiritual gift. I'm not sure about that. But in this situation, James says, when the prayer is done in the faith. Now, something interesting. In Luke 18, Jesus said, if you ask for things in faith, God will do it. Mark 11 says, if when you pray, you believe it, you could say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. We have no record in all of the Bible or history that anyone ever got a mountain thrown into the sea. He's using... Uh, extreme illustration, a little means, a little means, prayer in faith can remove a large obstacle. Prayer as small as a mustard seed, which is near nothing. If you have God quality of faith, and every one of you that are born-again believers have that faith, it was put in you at the moment of the new birth. That kind of faith, when exercised in God, can see huge issues resolved based upon a little amount of faith. But Jesus says in Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find the faith that prays this way? Not just the revealed body of truth, but will there be this kind of faith in my followers that can pray in faith? And so James qualifies this. This is not just praying. This is praying in the faith. It's a definite article. In the faith, specifically, I don't know if it's a special unction at this time or it's a special time of prayer, whatever, but he says that they pray in the faith 
and they pray in the name of the Lord, which means from John, they pray in his character, they pray in keeping with his will, and God can raise up the sick. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, sometimes he doesn't, and I don't know what's, either we don't pray in faith, or we don't pray, or it's not his will, but what an astounding promise that if you will obey God, call elders. I've been, we, we pray for the sick here. We don't get called upon very much because most of you probably don't even know this is in the Bible. But when we are called upon, our elders are always willing to anoint you with oil and pray over you. And I've seen God raise people up. I've seen people get better. I've been prayed over so many times. My mother was told when I was six years old, I would never walk again. Six years old. And they were getting me in crippled children's fund, put me on braces, speech therapy. I had paralysis. I remember in 1950, maybe it had been about 50, my folks carried me through a prayer line with Oral Roberts, Pentecostal people. I didn't get any instant miracle, but I'll tell you this much, at 66, I'm still walking. I'm not running, but I'm walking. Whatever you want, at least, at least, there's more available to us in obedient prayer than you can even imagine. Don't reduce God to the size of what you've been told. He said, if you can believe and you can ask, you can watch God, and he tells these elders, pray for the sick, and God can raise them up and make them well. Don't go to a divine healer. I don't think there's any out there. He said, call for the elders. And he didn't tell me to call for a prayer line. We do it in the home. We do it in the office. You call, and we'll be sure one of our men, we've got 10 men now that are studying with us to be elders. One of those 10 will get someone to you. Now, the issue is, do you believe it'll work? I, I'd study James real close. Did that pass away with the book of Acts? I don't think so. Because he's not saying that the elders have the divine gift of healing. I wish I did. If I did, I would call for the line right now. I mean that. I wish I had the gift. But he didn't say it's connected to the gift of healing. It's connected to obedient prayer in the faith, and God will move as he wants, and he's raised up thousands, even millions of people from sick beds in answer to obedient faith praying. So we are, it's our heritage. Are you with me? And now he says, in the midst of this sickness, uh, something interesting he uh, identifies sin. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. And the Jews strongly connected sin with sickness. As you read in John 9, the boy that was born blind from uh, his mother's womb, and they said, who sinned, the child or the parents? They made that a strong connection. Now, every time you're sick, uh, doesn't mean it's because of sin. Uh, but, they did have people in the early church that died prematurely because God killed them. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't give what they promised, so the Lord just killed them. Now, how would you like to belong to a church like that? Say, so last week, somebody lied about their offering. They're dead. They're right back there. We, we, we're viewing. The viewing is taking place. I mean, this happened. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, many among you are asleep. And he's not talking about the AM service. He's saying, we buried you. You're dead. You're dead. And many are sick, and many are weak. From what? For, from sin. 
You've sinned in taking the Lord's Supper, and God's taking your life. He's making some of you sick, and some of you are very weak. And what's the source? You're not taking enough vitamin C? No, you're sinning. So there is a connection with your physical health many times, and maybe sin. So in the context of a very sick person, hey, uh, by the way, if this is sin engendered, if this has anything to do with it, you take care of the sin. Confess the sin. Get right with the Lord in the heart. The elders will pray for your body, but you take care of being right with God. Confess your sins that you may be healed. And then he says something that just, we, we don't hardly believe this stuff, uh, this is not saying confess your sins to a priest. Confess your sins to who? One another. And he doesn't say do it in the uh, evening service. I've been in confession services. Has anyone ever gone to a public confession service? I mean, it, it is some experience. You only want it once for a lifetime. I mean, people get up. I've hated you for years, and I still do. Pray for me. <laughs> You know, it just wasn't a real good meeting. Uh, I, I've been, you cannot believe some of the things. No, no, he doesn't say where this takes place. It might be taking place in the context of those elders. Uh, it, may, it seems to be a way of life. And, and why would you confess? Some take it this way. I go confess to you that I have a wrong attitude. That could be uh, one of the sins. I don't think it's going in and divulging every secret of your life. But if there's any sin maybe related to your sickness or the attitude you're in, there's something about the one another transparency. Some of you are transparent with no one because you're too proud to be transparent. You're just too proud. You're a self-sufficient person. And none of us try to minister to you. We leave you alone. You, you send out enough signals, we know leave them alone. They got it all together like fun. He says that a true body life principle, I can tell you I'm struggling with an attitude. I can tell you I'm struggling with a sin. Don't make this uh, scandalous. I'm struggling in an area. Could you pray for me? And then we are praying together. So I ask this, who prays? The elders pray. Those who are having trouble pray. Those who confess a sin going on in their life pray. Uh, all the believers pray one for another. There doesn't seem to be a, a context in life that we don't pray. And if you're happy, sing. You know what to do in your prayer time? Please keep a hymnal next to you and sing hymns to God while you're praying. Try that. When you feel really uh, dull, sing something, uh, Arise My Soul. I will go to the, Tim was playing that for me the other day. Uh, play some great songs, Rock of Ages. Don't even know the song, some of you. You ought to, just something, anything you can sing with a joyful heart to God. Sing praises to me or cry for help. So who can pray? All of God's people. Uh, I don't need you to do praying for me necessarily, but he says here, part of the fellowship is we pray one, just praying over me today. It gives me great assurance just to have a church praying over me. It's, it's our birthright. So, uh, you know, who should pray? Uh, all of us, all the time, specific times. And then uh, I'm trying to think of uh, 
what to expect when you pray. Let me just give you some quick conditions. I, I print out these notes, not because I'm bored and I want to do something, but I know I'm going to be so scatterradical that you can at least go back and look the verses up for yourself because I, I want you to get it. I want you to have it. First of all, I got to pray in faith. If I don't think God can do it, he won't do it for me. He may do it, but he won't do it for me. God never rewards unbelief. If you don't believe him, just don't, don't, uh, don't ask. Just do without. But if you can believe, and you cannot please God unless you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, a Hebrews eleven six, And then you get in the gospel. Christ, James says, don't be double-minded when you pray. You get the Gospels that say, hey, pray in faith. So that is an attitude of heart. I'm relying on your ability to grant the request. Two, be sure it's in the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God won't give you everything you ask for, and you'll thank God for it someday. You'll thank God for it someday. Kill him, Lord. He won't answer that. Uh, do this or that. No, as you get older... You thank God for all the stuff you prayed for he didn't give you. You couldn't have handled it anyway. I love that country song, when I went to my prom, I thank God for unanswered prayer. You know, you go to a class reunion and see the girl you thought you were in love with, and you thank God he didn't answer prayer. <laughs> Keeping right along here, now your mind's distracted. Uh, pray with a... A whole heart towards God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, Psalm 66, 18, he will not hear me. My heart, you know, when you read in the Old Testament, my heart was blameless towards you, like Psalms 15 and, and uh, Psalms 18. Boy, you say, David, how can you pray so self-righteously? The word blameless there, Derek Kittner, Psalms, uh, says it means non-duplicitous. I'm not divided in my love for you. I, uh, I'm not saying I'm sinless. I'm not perfect. And of course, history certainly shows that in the life of David. But he said, I pray with a whole heart. I'm sincerely, all of me is into this. Don't be divided. And that's one of your big battles in prayer is to pick a time early enough or late enough where you're not distracted because being in a hurried mood will ruin all waiting on God. If you're hurried, you can't do it. God knows your hurried state. And that's why it will take you some time, maybe. That's why the first part of the day, I forget which divine used to say, the first face I want to see each morning is the face of God. I want to talk to him before I start talking to people. You know, you hear Kevin, amen in here. Something's amazing. Kevin started coming to this church, and uh, his brother had prayed for him and told him about this church, and Kevin uh, had a life of uh, being out there, wasn't, didn't know God for years, but I let him in uh, reluctantly in a Timothy class. I, and I told him, I said, I'm not used to having gangsters in uh, Timothy, <laughs> but you can come. And so I, I let him in. I wasn't sure. I said, my land, this guy... You know, he just made his last deal two weeks ago. I, I, I'm not sure. And so I let him in. 
And guess what subject we were dealing with? Prayer. How to have a prayer life. He got it, took hold. And so I, I saw him one day, he said, man, this prayer thing is working. I've got to get up at 5, 5.30 to do it, but it's wonderful. I pray 5.30 every morning before I go to the gym. I said, you haven't been saved long enough to get this figured out. You need to be saved another two years. No, no, no. Can I do it now? Yeah, I can do it now. Every morning, he made a vow, 5.30, he's on his knees. I went to see him here the other day to have my back worked on. I said, Pastor, you're going to India. He rose out his mat. Let's pray right here. So he charged me for the prayer meeting in my back. No discount for the prayer time. He learned early. And some saints have never learned. And they, they stay barren. They don't grow. I've been watching this boy grow like a weed. Memorizing scripture, learning, learning. He learned to pray, learned to pray, and made it a priority. Uh, pray in the Spirit. Now let's look at the consequences of effectual prayer. And I'm all over the board here because I just want to give you different examples. Look at the translations of this word here. Uh, the prayer of a righteous person. Now, I take that to be a person living right. The right by justification, but in James, the right by behavior, too. You're not in open sin. You're not living a double life. You're right with the Lord. And when this kind of person prays, uh, great power is unleashed. Now, here's some of the translations. Prayer of a righteous man is strong, able to do much. I like that. Much availeth the supplication of a righteous man. Rotherham's a good old Britisher, so you get a lot of that. An upright man's prayer, when it keeps at work, is very powerful. Ralph Martin in Word Commentary, the righteous person's prayer is very powerful in its effectiveness. He's simply saying that uh, when you pray in the power of prayer, he uses a word, uh, enigma, it will produce remarkable effects, remarkable results. And the little word enigma speaks of energy in its effects, in what it's able to produce. And the prayer of a righteous man, the evidence of it produces divine effects. And then he says, here's a man like Elijah, who all he does is pray, and for three and a half years you have a drought. And after three and a half years, again, he gets to the cave and he prays again, and God opens the heavens. And then if you read about Elijah in 1 Kings 19, here's a man after he already killed the prophets of Baal in chapter 18. Chapter 19, Jezebel threatens him. He runs scared to death. Uh, he's scared. He's afraid. He's discouraged. He gets under the broom tree, and he says, God, kill me. Uh, you, you can't be using me. Uh, my life is in vain. Kill me. Uh, how many saints do you know that pray in the morning? First thing, God, kill me. I mean, that, that's pretty human. Very, wait, 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 wait. Men of God can't get that discouraged. I only get that discouraged. Not great prophets. He did. 
He asked God to kill him, and then he did this favorite prayer of uh, real giants in the faith. God, nobody's living for you. I'm the only one, and they're trying to kill me. And God said, hey, 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 hey. I got 7,000 other men in this country that have never bowed their knee to Baal. I don't see them. Where do they live? Give me their address. Well, they're hiding out in caves. They're running for their lives. But I've got some other people out there. And when you're discouraged, you don't think anybody's got it but you. Nobody loves God like you, or that's the only reason you're suffering, is you love him so much. And you look at the biography of the man in chapter 19 and say, wow. God could never do anything for a man like that. Too many doubts, discouragements, and fears. Says, You're a man, people just like Elijah can get their prayers answered. People with the same human frailty, with the same human doubts, the same human discouragement, ups and downs. Did you know God doesn't answer prayers for the angels any more than he does for the weakest saint right here that just comes and calls for his help? You don't have to be an elder. And if you're an elder, you still got the weakness of humanity. And so he's encouraging us, weak people, and seeing Elijah in his weakest moment, he had a nature just like you have, pray, and God heard him. What a marvelous example. I give you the example of Jehoshaphat. Uh, You owe it to yourself. You know, if I was... Uh, having children again, and God gave me some boys, I think I'd name one Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Just out of Second Chronicles 20. Thank God we didn't have any, huh? Uh, Jehoshaphat. I kind of like that. Just his name. Jehoshaphat, Josiah, uh, Ahithophel. Um, he, he gives the narrative when the Assyrians want to destroy Judah, and they invade. And Sennacherib is down there, and they're mocking, and Isaiah talks to the king. He talked to Hezekiah, but Jehoshaphat's day, they surrounded the city. They're going to destroy them. And look at uh, verse 12. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Is that a great prayer? We don't know what to do. You know why I remember that? This was the verse my dad quoted when he was dying. He quoted this Richmond Hospital when he's dying of cancer. 48 days he was gone, but this was his verse in that hospital cancer ward. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I never knew it was in the Bible. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm surrounded by my enemies. I don't have a chance in a million, but my eyes are on you. I'm looking to you, the author and finisher of my faith. Then notice the narrative. I'm just lifting it out. Verse 15, the Lord says to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Did we not sing that this morning? The battle is in God's hands. And then he goes down to verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He said that to him in Exodus 15. Stand still and 
I'll take care of Pharaoh's army. Who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem? Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Well, if we kept looking at verses, we got verses. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And even greater things than these shall you do, because I go to my Father to pray for you. I don't know that if any of us really believe that verse, but Jesus left it there anyway. John 14, 12 through 14, that the apostolic church proved they did greater things. More people were led to Christ in one day than the whole ministry of Christ. 120 made it to the upper room, and one fallen man, one weak man, one man that denied Christ three times, preached in the power of the Spirit, and 3,000 were saved in one day. Jesus never led that many to the Lord, his whole ministry. So the greater things, I think, is extent, quantity. You're going to do more to see people come to God than my whole three and a half years because I'll be up there anchoring your prayer request, getting you things because of my name. You get it because of me, but ask in my name. Ask in my name and see what I will do. You have verses that say... uh, Now unto him that's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all you could ask or think. Now, if you're only asking or thinking zero, it's hard to be above it. But we could double it, double zero. Ask something in his name. Think something. What could God do in your life that you could believe him for? Name me one thing going on in your life right now that you can attribute to no other power but the power of God. Everything. Save sinner that hasn't got over it. If you guys weren't here, I've got a cheering club. Just because you can't get over being saved. When are you supposed to get over it? Yes. I'll do it. I'll do it in Jesus' name. Uh, Jeremiah said, if you'll call, I'll answer and show you great and mighty things you do not know. You know what? I think the, the, uh, the ministry we want, the labors we need in the harvest, he said, if you'll pray... God of thrust in labors. Always struggling. I've watched Carolyn for years in the children's ministry, and I've been hearing reports in our youth group that workers are coming. Workers are coming, and we thank God. But I've often seen uh, someone resign a class, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. And uh, I've just seen my wife go to prayer. Seen her go to prayer, and it seemed like within a day or a week, someone's calling. I'm available. What made him available? Pray. And God knows how to put thorns in your bed at night so you can't sleep because all the children need a teacher. He knows how. He knows how to get you there. He can get you in the mood. I asked if I could use this prayer. Kevin used it when he's teaching in our youth group. He's teaching on blessed are the poor in spirit. And this is what he taught him to pray. Father, I am small, you are big. I am poor, you are rich. I am empty, you are full. I make mistakes, you are perfect. I don't know much, you know everything. I am powerless. You are powerful. I am just a weak human. 
You are the invincible God. I am a sinner. You are holy. Amen. You have everything, and I need you. Father, I don't have an answer for my sin. Out of love, you gave me an answer by sending your son to die on the cross for me. I believe, believe you raised me from the dead so I can live my life for you. And so take out, when you can, the little prayer bookmarker and John Newton's great words that I love. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions would thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Our poverty is self-imposed. If we would begin to ask, he will grant it for his own glory. And you'll quit being fruitless, and you'll begin to abound with fruit, abound in joy. Abide, ask, and abound. John 15. Our Father, thank you for this journey we've been on just looking at how you've made your power available to your weak people just through the avenue of prayer. Deliver us from our prayerlessness. Deliver us from our poverty. May we learn, oh, what needless, I think of, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Teach us to pray that we may abound. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.